welcome to Auric Digital's How to Make a Video Game Podcast. Here, you'll be entertained, informed, and enlightened by the many goings-on within the studio as we introduce you to our projects, our colleagues, and give you a little insight into how we operate. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. How to Make a Video Game, the podcast. Um, at some point, Jess, we should absolutely have, like, How to Make a Video Game, the sitcom. Or How to Make a Video Game, the recipe book. Oh, could you imagine the concoctions? I don't know. Is are, are we slowly developing an archive of recipes as to how we do and don't make games? Like, is that what we're doing right now? Anyway, but thank you. Thank you so much for joining us again on How to Make a Video Game. I am Matt. Here is Jess. Hello. 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 Um, so this one's an interesting one. I mean, I can't remember how many times I say that. They're all I, interesting. They're all interesting. Mm. But I, whenever I say that line, it, I'm I'm basically prepping myself and listeners to be interested again. Are you ready to be interested again? Because this one, we're talking about parenting. Yeah. And that's something we really haven't touched on ever. No, not at all. And it's really not something that's like a topic in, in common media within the industry either. You know, it's definitely talked about, but mm. it's not all over the news posts all the time, you know, parenting and age in general in in Mm. gaming, um, what it's like to grow up just for a bit of context here. um, I'm, you know, in my mid twenties, there's about a generation or so gap between myself and Matt. So it's, Mm. it's really interesting to have a discussion around age in gaming and parenting in gaming. I myself am not a parent, Matt is, Mm -hmm. um, and how, our life experiences have changed and influenced our approaches to games and working in games as well. I think yeah. it's an interesting one to, to dig into. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, you know, you've you've hit it right there because it, playing games, working in games, so much of what you do and know is channeled from um, the era in which you were introduced to games um, and also what you then go on to produce if you're working in games because you're influenced to a, to a DNA level. Um, by those things. And certainly, uh, you, you're right, I am a parent of two. My gosh, I'm a parent of two. Um, my experience with games now, and of course we'll go into this in, in much uh, greater detail with the, with the main chunk coming shortly, um, but for me now, it's, it's like uh, my, my gaming relationship is, is being channeled through my children now. Mm. They, are, they actually aren't at the point where they're playing games that much, to be honest. Mm. We, we now have a SNES Mini, and that, for, for me, is going to be the gateway for, for my eldest to play some of these games that I loved as a kid as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a number of things. It's a chance for us to, to play together, to be together, to bond, to laugh and, and, and make mistakes and, and watch the perils of our characters and stuff. It's going to be an absolute blast. And the, the thing that's great about the SNES Mini in particular is that it's a very safe environment. These games are of a particular taste, a particular era. They're very safe. They're very fun. Um, and also that there's enough detail in and around the controls for, to build that hand-eye coordination and all the rest of it. So it's like, it's a safe platform for a little person to begin their gaming relationship if indeed they go on to have one. Yeah. Um, but yes, digress. We will we, go into a, a great amount of detail shortly because we have... Uh, a good scope of yes. voices on the this episode today. Yes. We've really um, tried to make the most of our remote access working and we have looped in possibly our youngest and possibly our eldest in the studio, mm. as well as a couple of other voices. Um, so when we get to the main chunk, we'll introduce everybody. But it's just been... This is a really nice episode to be able to do. I feel like it's 
going to spark a lot of conversations about our company culture as well mm. because we've got a lot of parents there's you know a whole section of our um kind of like main space where we socialize is about parenting and what it's like to be a working parent but also a working parent in video games and a lot of the people who grew up with games and are now kind of like seniors and leads etc in the games industry they're now having children they have children and their children are growing up and mm. that's influencing the decisions they make on the industry yeah where they take their games on the next step through yeah. um yeah it's really really cool because the games industry is actually so young it's only about 50 years old so the people who started it are very likely still around today yeah and they're still in charge and they're still dictating its direction and where it goes um and that's going back to right to the very start i mean 50 yeah. years is not a huge amount of time and that's going back to the very start of of the gaming industry i mean you could argue that well the 80s home console craze is where things really kind of ramped up with your sega nintendo and the rest of it you know exactly. that was certainly my my generation my era um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. It's going to be fascinating just to pick everybody's brains and see where they've come from to, to develop that, 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 um, understanding of their pathway into yeah. and through out and then maybe back into gaming. Like it's going to be absolutely fascinating, you know? Yeah. It's going to be really, really cool. Um, I'm excited to learn, especially from just other parents. Cause I, I don't know if I'll ever be a parent, but if I am, I think one of the things that I would love the most about it is sharing my love of video games with my children. And I think that that's gonna be really nice for me to listen and learn from you folks. So we've got a bit of a round table today, lots more voices and faces that we can see uh, and you'll be hearing from in a second. And we're talking about, aren't games for kids? Quite a big question. Let's do a little round table. Let's, let's go around everyone and we'll ask, uh, how old are you? Uh, and what age did you start playing games? And what was the first console that you played as well? Uh, I'm going to go with Stu. Introduce yourself. All right. Hello. Um, okay. So I'm Stu. I'm uh, 52. Uh, I think I was invited onto this podcast for my ability to be old. Um, <laughs> and I think it's an ability. <laughs> also, it, despite that, I am actually the child of a video game player as well. Uh, and he's still playing video games in his mid 80s. Oh, yeah. First console. Um, well, really, I mean, I I started with like Game & Watch style stuff in the uh, sort of late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and the the first games that I had in the home were uh, via ZX Spectrum. Um, and then there was, yeah, pl plenty of uh, computer game playing. And the first console would have been a Dreamcast. So, yeah, I, I spent a lot of uh, yeah a lot of time just playing computer games and then video games. Uh, yeah, took took another twenty years or so to uh, to, to formulate. Uh, and I think yeah, PS4 is the only uh, console I've got at the moment. That's, that's so a little bit behind the times now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've been at gaming since its inception, really, Stu, which is... Which More or less, yeah. Cool. I mean, I had, you know, had friends who had, like, uh, the old Atari VCSs, which were really the first real attempt to get consoles into the home. And that, that was when, you know, video, video games cost, like, 30 quid a pop for an old VCS console, which 
back then was like a, a mortgage payment you know? <laughs> <laughs> back in the day let's uh thank you Stu. let's go for other end of the spectrum archie hello can you please let us know how old you are uh when did you start gaming and what was your first console hey everyone i'm 23 years old and uh i probably started gaming it's hard to say i think i was probably about four because i've got some very vague memories my first console was either one of those PlayStation portables or a SNES, because I was thinking about it the other day. I've got this really vague memory of playing Micro Machines 2 on um, some kind of really old device that I can't quite picture. But thinking now, I think it must have been a SNES, because, but on the flip side, I was, when I was really young, I also got a PSP and had some kind of Donkey Kong game on it. So... I don't think I was quite old enough to really understand the game at that point. So I don't know which came first, but those two things are like my earliest video game memories. I would, uh, I would just like to let the audience know, because we can see each other on camera here, and this is a little snippet insight, that the, uh, the gobsmacked faces that we've got going on is very funny to me. <laughs> Uh, well, we, we, myself and Stu worked on launch titles for the PlayStation Portable. So not, not, not only is it not an old console for us, but yeah, we, yeah, we, we were there when it came out. <laughs> wow. Back in your day. Um, Tom, do you want to, do you want to go through the, the, the question? So age, when did you start gaming and what was your first console? Um, yeah, is it also, well, also say what we, we do here. So Yes, you. You are apart from being old. What else do you do? <laughs> oh yeah, I do a bit of art every now and then on video games. Stu's um, a principal artist, is what he's trying to say. Uh, and, and getting Archie. away with it for like thirty odd years now. Yeah, uh, Archie, what do you do? I'm a programmer for video games. Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you, Jess. Yeah, so uh, Thomas and I'm the studio director, and I am as of a few days ago. Uh, I am now forty nine, but still in my forties. So, you know, it's nice to have people in their 40s in the, pod, in the podcast. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, my, my first console was a thing called a Biotone, which was a thing you plugged into your TV, and it had, like, preset games. So it's, it was basically it did squash, football, uh, doubles squash. <laughs> doubles football? Yeah, doubles. <laughs> well, football was, yeah, kind of doubles, and, and that, that was it, like... It is basically like the screen with a, a, a wall and a bat was squash. And the, the football was, you, you had a bat each and there were two goals. Um, yeah, it was basically the same game, just, just slightly reskinned. Um, and you just flip it between that. That was the first one. But yeah, the first computer I was using was ZX80 um, and tried programming and stuff on that. And then the first proper console that we would see would be a Sega Master System was the one mm-hmm. that I remember playing a lot of stuff on, really enjoying. Um, yeah, I'll pass it back then. I don't think I've heard of any of those consoles. Anyway. Oh. Uh, Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> let's, let's keep it all clean, people. Come on. Let's keep it clean, keep it clean. Um, John, please, could you very kindly enlighten us for who you are, what you do, uh, age gaming console? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm John. I'm a producer um, for my sins. Um, <laughs> making video games. Um, uh, yes, I'm 46. My first console, well, my first game was a ZX Spectrum 
I think it was about 1984 because it came, we had Jet Set Willy and, um, which I remember playing a lot, which was absolutely brutal 2D platformer. I remember that, but loving it. And another game called Mr. Wimpy, which was this another, it was, there was lots of 2D platformers. Um, but it was the, it was the, it was the spectrum with the rubber keys, basically. And it was, it was a, it was the family computer, but I basically commandeered it and that was it. It was, that was, yeah, that was me from then onwards basically just playing games and i played games throughout ever since but the first console would have been the nes um and i remember that just feeling like wow okay so it was such a level up basically from the zx spectrum and that to me is it, I, my perception of consoles with is the fact that they were so it, it went from sort of uh, it went with something that was so much so much slicker and it was basically having an arcade in your living room it was amazing you know and so and just like obviously super mario you know and and duck hunts and that sort of stuff it was it was just like having an arcade in the house which was just the greatest thing ever incredible uh matt uh i'd like to know the same from you if you could be so kind i'm not gonna leave you out of this one no, it's okay. Uh, yes, my name's Matthew. We're all uh, used to these boring tones by this point. Matthew, audio designer. Uh, recently had a milestone birthday. Uh, I'm no longer in my 30s. I am 40 now. I look beautiful, I know. Um, high <laughs> cheekbones. But the two, I've actually got the two specific games um, that are the, my earliest memories, earliest memories of gaming, both on the Commodore 64 cassette Ooh. games. Um, one of them was Andy Cap, which I believe mm-hmm. to be, it was a newspaper strip, a comic strip from a tabloid paper or something. Um, and the other one was The Adventures of Basildon Bond, which I think was one of Russ Abbott's comedy sketches, which then went on to be a, a video game. The actual first console experience I had would have been probably the NES, but I'm, I'm going to class the Master System because that was the, that was my first real uh, sort of opening of a, of, a, of a door into the console world. Because like John said then, everything felt polished. It felt like it was made to have fun. Those games previously on the Com- Commodore 64 were quite cumbersome and you know, it took an age to load, whereas this was like switch on, play game. And it was just amazing. Amazing. What about you, Jess? Um, I have a vague fugue state memory of playing a demo of Discworld on PC and getting really confused as to why I couldn't progress because I didn't understand what a demo was. I didn't know that you couldn't go further with the game. I must, I must have been about four or five. I got my hands on a PC somehow because uh, I was really late to gaming because I was, I was, um, I've come from pretty working class background, so I didn't have, you know, the, like the the cash around for for PCs and all this gaming and all these accoutrements that are like fancy. Um, but my first console was a PlayStation One. That was my first. Um, I love it. I no longer have it. I still have my PlayStation 2. It's set up somewhere. Um, and I think the first game, I think, was probably Spyro, Year of the Dragon, oh. specifically. That was my first game. And it was fantastic. Completed it, start to finish. Um, yeah. Very good. Great times, great memories. Well, we've got a few points to, to run through in this episode. It's going to be really, really interesting to get everyone's point of view. Next one being, um, I believe, how has gaming changed for you over that time? Um, Stu, let's go back to you. Where does that land for you? How has gaming changed for you throughout your gaming life? For me, I, I would say, and I, I hate to say this on, on, on this podcast, but it's over the years it has become less relevant to me in the sense that 
you know, when I was a young'un, uh, it was pretty central to to what I was doing. Like I think a lot of young men, you know, you do spend an awful lot of time gaming. Uh, today, I would say um, it's something that tends to get pushed into uh, the the slivers of time when you're not doing much else, and also. I would say the actual types of games I play tend to be the ones that are um, much more easily split up into small gaming moments. I mean, I, I, at the moment, I've been playing a lot of um, Slay the Spire. Mm. And one of the reasons for that is that you can get through an entire run in about half an hour, which I really like. It's, you know, it's just a nice little self-contained block of gaming. And then you're like, okay, I'm done. I've, I've got to go and do something more responsible than than mucking about <laughs> um i will say though that 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 is more to do with uh lifestyle than to do with my my thoughts about gaming and i suspect mm-hmm. that when i retire as long as i'm you know still financially able to mm-hmm. i'll actually probably spend more time gaming again and mm-hmm. play larger mm-hmm. games so yeah, my my thoughts about games haven't really changed a lot. It is just more about how much time you can spend doing it. Mm. Yeah, totally. But it depends on like it depends on what phase of your life you're in, isn't it? Really. So when you're younger, you do have that that time to be able to you're you're time rich, obviously cash poor. But like you know, if you've got kind parents or or a paper round, you're able to facilitate that 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 wants that need to, you know to play games um but as you get older when work comes in you have less spare time and or if you have children you know then then yeah it, it has to take it it has to it has to be a lower priority than than other things in your life so um that makes sense you know what you're saying in terms of it's become less prevalent in your day-to-day life because other things have to come first, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would say, actually, thinking about it, probably the kinds of games I play, uh, uh, you know, my reflexes aren't what they were. So <laughs> playing like, online first-person shooters, uh, yeah. And, unless I want to be at the bottom of every leaderboard, uh, I won't be doing that again. Um, Archie, what about you? What about you? How has gaming changed for you? I think for me... Probably the reason that I game, to be honest. So back in the early days for me, when I was really young, um, it was more of a family thing. So my family introduced me to video games. Um, There were single player games I played, I guess, but it was more of a thing to do stuff with my family. But now as I've become more independent, it's become a means to keep in touch with friends. And that's due to the whole internet situation and having online multiplayer games. And generally, if I want to keep in contact with somebody and we know we like particular games, then meeting up online is just a good way to keep friendships going. And it's really, it's our core way of interacting with each other now. It's like, it's how we know each other is through playing this game. We might maybe meet up once a year because I come from Cornwall. Some of my friends moved into Wales. Some have gone like even further and some still live back at home. So we don't see each other very often, but playing online is now how we interact. So I think for me, that's the biggest difference. Obviously, there's stuff like hardware differences and stuff like that. But I think the reason I play games has actually been the biggest factor for me. What about you, Thomas? Going from growing up with uh, with Warhammer, 
all the all the tabletop board games you could name, and and now being the the director of a studio, a game development studio, that's quite a scope there. Like, how have games changed for you? Um, well, I, I, I think similarly. Like, I get less time to play games overtly, and so I'm I'm much more choosy about games. Like, I find myself if I'm not enjoying a game, I drop it. I drop it very quickly, and I move on to something else. Because bluntly, there's a, a plethora, a wealth of really good games out there. And if it's not doing it for me, you know, then, then yeah, I move on. Um, as well as that being, you know, as well as, yeah, as well as having, you know, being like picky on it. I, I think we'll come to this. Like, I've got kids as well, so I play games with them. Um, but I think what I do is, is like, I think I look for games that I can enjoy in very short periods of time. And I don't mean like, I don't have a lot of, t- I don't, well, time is always squeezed, but. I mean, if if a game requires each session to be a good hour or two, that's harder for me to find time to commit to that. So, uh, you know, as an example, I had been playing Red Red Redemption 2 um, and really enjoying it and got so far in it. But because each time you play, you've got these side missions, you're accruing stuff, you kind of put, got to put a couple of hours in and be regular with it. Otherwise, you forget what's going on. You forget all yeah. the controls. Yeah. So that's a harder game for me. Whereas some things I've just finished playing through Advance Wars One and Two Remaster, which is slightly cheating because I played them years ago. Um, <laughs> but it, but turn-based strategy games are a good one for me um, because I can just do a little bit. And I've been playing Slay the Spire as well on my Switch. Um, I can just do a little bit of it. I can play like uh, you know a, a couple of rounds, and I can put it down immediately and then pick it up and remember what I'm doing. So those are currently the things that I like. But I do book myself out time you know, to, to play bigger things because I do want to enjoy it. So I've also been playing Starfield and it's very enjoyable. Um, but I, again, I can see if I'm going to commit to this, I need quite a lot of time. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I am with it. Let's uh, swing back to you, Jess. Where, where does this lie for you? Uh, how has gaming changed for me? Um, oh, I didn't tell the audience how old I am. I'm 26, turning 27 next week at time of recording. Um, so I'm still in my mid twenties. Um, <laughs> just, just, just clawing on, clutching. Um, gaming. It's been an interesting one for me. My relationship. I'm not going to go too long about it. Um, I played an absolute crap ton of games when I was younger. It was all I did. Uh, as someone who's neurodivergent, that was that was my space. That was what my brain really liked. It was my special interest. I would play games for. 10 12 hours at a time over the summer holidays like i was not let up at all um absolutely rinsed through rpgs like no tomorrow um nowadays um when i went to uni i stopped playing games completely uh because i just didn't find i had the time or the right setup at home um, my uni accommodation i had a lot much more of a social life and i kind of dropped gaming for a good three years and it took me a while to get back into it um and then obviously we had pandemic and lockdown and that was kind of my my comeuppance to get back into gaming and RPGs and I had a lot of spare time then because I was unemployed. And now I sit in pretty much an agreement with a lot of you folks here is, um, you know, I don't have children. So my free time is pretty much my free time. I have some caring responsibilities to do, but other than that, it is just me, myself and I and my partner. So we, and we both love playing games. So we will often just play our own games together, like separately off to the side for about four or five hours in the evening after work. Um, but I get the overwhelm and I get the RPG fatigue. Um, 
I think when Elden Ring came out last year, I waited about eight months until I played it because I wanted to play it over the Christmas holiday period when I knew I could spend some time actually investing in it properly. And because I like to strategize, I like to long-term plan into games like that. I don't like to just kind of like play along with the story. I'm a bit of a completionist in a way. Um, so that that for me was my realization of, oh, no, I am an adult now with adult responsibilities, and I can't just play whatever game I want to now. Um, so I'm getting into graphic novels, actually, at the moment, visual novels, because um, or semi-interactable ones like Coffee Talk or something like that, just things that, you know, I can get it done in a couple of evenings. Um, mm. those, those kinds of games suit me quite fine now. Um, yeah, a comeuppance for the indies for me since working in games as well i've gotten into a lot more indie games now and i love it mm. yeah um, I, would, I would second that like i've got a real thing for experimental games and I, when i say that i don't mean like something that's gonna be very very difficult for me to understand because i don't have that patience these days i'm much like tom if, if something doesn't grab me or if i know for for certain that it's not going to grab me then I, I also will just drop it because time is really valuable um, just to kind of jump on that as well, like f- for me, games are so much more involved and also way more accessible now. So f- for me, it was like only recently I've fallen back in love with games, with playing games. When you work on video games, of course, you get so used to seeing the inside, the insides of a game. It it's a very strange experience to try and really get invested in something emotionally and everything. I find that really hard. And when the Steam Deck came out absolutely changed my relationship to games because I fell out of love with games for about two or three years when I became a parent. And you'd think like, well, you know, when the baby's sleeping, yada, 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 perhaps that might be your time to play games. And it's like, well, yes and no. And and there's another podcast we could do about that maybe. But like when the Steam Deck was announced, I remember saying like, I need my Steam library in my hands. That's what I need. And about six to eight months later, the Steam Deck was announced. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, brilliant. Bought the Steam Deck, love it. I've since gone on to get the Steam Deck dock, and it's like, this is just perfect for me. But in terms of the games, it's like, um, and I don't work for Steam, obviously, or Valve, I'm, you know, I'm just saying it's a good piece of kit, but it's like, it works for me. And I'm not really too bothered about the games, it's just that I've actually got the chance to play games again, and yeah. to a point where it works for me. I don't have to sit down, I can play it on the go, play it here, there, there. You know, it, it works across all the boards for me, and it's one of the best investments I think I've ever made in, yeah. in recent times. Do you think that is because that's the other point is that it's the platforms, it's the it's the ubiquity, if you like, in terms of like it, you can play now. It's not just a PC or or a home console. It's it, it is your Switch, it's your Steam Deck, or mobile. It's your tablets, and that's the other things is that like, I found at one point when. I was gaming on my commute to work. Do you know what I mean? So um, that was that was a big time, big a big phase when I part of my life where I had uh, had an hour commute every day on a train. It was great. I got through so many games doing that. You know, like um, and so that really like like and I'd never really considered mobile and uh, touchscreen games. I should say. Um, as I know, it's that whole thing's terrible, but like, they're not real games, are they? They're not. They're not real. But <laughs> they, no, they are. They. Do you know what I mean? Like you can really get invested in, and and so it's about tying back to what what you said, Matt, and also what Stu said is that is the fact that it's where where games can fit within your day to day routine. 
And sometimes it's about time, but it's also about the platform itself is what, what hardware do you need to be able to, what's the interface you need to actually be able to enjoy games. And like you say, just with, with graphic novels, it, that's, a, that's a, a, not biggest, too big a step away from that. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 so the, it's not only is the amount of time you're playing with it, but it's, you're playing games, but it's also the, what you use to play games, you mm. know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that convenience is is hugely important, and, and you're absolutely right, John. I mean, something that stops me playing more console games is the fact that it's it's hooked up to my TV downstairs, and I've got a. It doesn't sound like you've got to turn it all on and get started, but it's like, yeah, I, I muck about on the iPad all the time, yeah. like playing like um, oh, not Clash of Clans, uh, Clash Royale stuff like that, yeah. you know, yeah. because it's just immediately there. You turn it on and you go. And it is that just and yeah, with you, Matt, with the Steam Deck, it's like it's that same thing, right? You you can just pick it up and you can get going. And even though, yeah, it probably would only take another five minutes to fire up a, a console that's you know downstairs on the TV. It's oh, I can't be bothered with that. Yeah, mm. yeah. So as we've kind of started transitioning into more uh, parent familial um, uh, talk, the next point that we want to talk about here uh, is. What sort of games would you play as a as a parent with your with your little ones or with relatives? Like what what are what what are the go to games for everyone around the table? Jess, let's let's swing back to you. What are your kind of go tos? Um, well, uh, I don't have kids. Um, I might become a parent one day. Who knows? Um, that's that's a story for another podcast. But I I really like um, when I was younger. Uh, I used to desperately try and get my mum involved in games. She wasn't interested just because she found them really hard. Um, she wasn't, she found a lot of them tricky, but I remember that there was, I think it was 102 Dalmatians on the Game Boy Advance. She really clicked with as a platformer, as a 2D platformer, and she actually played it from start to finish. And I remember being so proud of her for actually doing it. Um, but since then, I haven't been able to get her involved in anything. But I think that. For me, I've always been an independent gamer, apart from some time that I spent playing games with my uncle. Um, so I have an uncle who's 10 months younger than me, and he and I basically just grew up every weekend playing video games together. And that was a huge part of expanding my repertoire of gaming and getting me involved in genres that I never thought I would before, um, especially a lot of games like racing games. So Need for Speed, I played a lot of that as well. Um as to how how does this fit in with you know kind of family gaming or gaming with other people i think that i really like being able to recommend games for people i really like sitting down and listening to someone and they aren't a gamer and go actually i think you as a person would really enjoy this game i think that you would find this interesting i've done this to friends before where they've never played anything and i've said go play hades and they've loved it uh, you know, they played it on God mode, so it was easier, but they've loved it. And I always will recommend games where they have an accessible easy mode. Mm -hmm. um, I also like to play games with friends um, who enjoy it for the story and the playability and, and the atmosphere, um, but ne might not necessarily want to be able to play the mechanics of it. So using a controller because they're not as familiar with it. So I've done that with um, Hollow Knight for a friend where uh, we played it through together. She was just there sat watching me play it, but she loved it. She had a great time. And I think there's something to be said for 
gaming to the side of someone else, being sat watching someone else play a game. Um, I think that that's a big place to connect on. Yeah. Talking about family stuff, and John, I'm just going to come to you in a second, because at a, at a, a conference we all went to as a studio recently, um, we sat down in the video game archive or library, I forget the name of it now, or museum, sorry, and I forget the name of the game we actually played as well, but that was one of the best gaming sessions I'd had on a couch for the better part of 20 plus years. Like tears streaming out of my eyes. It was, oh, was it gang the beast? best time. Is yeah. It gang beast? Yes. Yeah. And I'd, I'd completely forgotten. And just going back to what you're saying, Jess, like I'd completely forgotten what that experience was like. Could it, Cause it had been such a long time just like investing in open world, you know, one player driven uh, linear experiences. I was so numb and alien to just sitting next to a buddy and there was four of us, of course, playing it. And I was like, what is this? This is new <laughs> all over again. And it was incredible. I want to see more of that because that for me is, and I'm of a certain generation, some of you might agree, may not, like that is multiplayer gaming to me, like local couch sat next to your friends with a bowl of crisps in front mm. of you. Like that is gaming to me. Mm-hmm. I've never really related too much with online stuff. I do do some, but um, rare, rare. But that for me was was just gold dust and I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think um, there's a um, there's a hilarity that can can come from when you're sat next to someone. Um, yeah, because we play we play when we, we played Gang Beast, I remember it, and we uh, the other one we played was Micro Machines yeah. on the PlayStation, <laughs> and there was eight of us, utter chaos, utter chaos. But it was it was so much fun, you know. Um, and it is because you're next to each other and you're you're hugging and laughing and you know. Um, just just enjoying each other's company whilst playing playing the game um but i i I think you're right in terms of accessibility as well uh jess in terms of um and and for me the game that is hands down one of the most accessible games for all all ages is mario kart like the latest mario kart the fact that i can play with my three-year-old is incredible you know um so that as a as a as like sort of that the, sort of the family game that i could recommend would be mario kart because anybody of all i mean it's nintendo through and through you know the, the accessibility is so important to nintendo um but um yeah would you down- say sorry would you say mario kart or is it party games because i've always considered mario kart a party game it's well, it is. It is a party game. Uh, see, see, if you class it as a party game, it is the greatest party game. I don't think other party games. Um, I think there are still walls that can you have to sort of overcome with other, some of the party games. Whereas Mario Kart, it it can it can literally drive the kart for my three year old, but my three year old still thinks he's racing a kart. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So he still gets mm. the joy of racing around with his brother and you know with me and what have you and even though he's holding the controller back to front and do you know what i mean and he managed to push the button to shoot shoot the shoot the weapons do you know what i mean um but he still manages you know to come in third and as for, for him he's like i win i win you know he's getting that the joy of playing games so that's why i'd say mario kart anyone can get can get that that buzz and that joy um, I, I think that's a good point and and with mario kart especially with with the whole way that it's that it's set up is that anyone can be a winner of course you get all the best weapons if you're at the end sort of thing and like the, doesn't matter whether you're just miles out in front, it can all flip on its backside yeah. at the the spin of a red shell, you know, or blue shell or whatever it is. 
Um, but just moving on slightly, Archie, I just want to ask you, like, what games would you recommend for family family gaming time? Like, what would you actually recommend? What's been an absolute slam dunk for you? I think for me personally, the biggest family game, and there were several's, as a family, we played a lot when I was younger together. But we really enjoyed Wii Fit Plus on the Nintendo Wii with that Wii Balance board. I remember one Christmas opening this box and I was saying, yeah, mum, I love it. Thank you. But I'm really thinking, oh, what's this yoga thing I've just opened up? But then we got, <laughs> we got into it and it's actually it's full of mini games. You're doing like real actions and you're taking turns. And it's just a really, really good sort of bonding thing because it's just a silly game full of lots of different things and it's easy to do and you can all take part um so i think games a bit like mario kart in a way where you do something that's really simple but really fun that can work for all ages anyone that's able to play i think those are the real ones that can bond like families and friends in person i also agree with john that Yes, it's a party game, but it's different to the likes of, say, Mario Party, where it's a little bit more complex. Um, because to me, I couldn't really imagine a three-year-old being able to roll the dice and then know, oh, I've just landed on a lucky square, or I've got to learn this new mini game now. So I think that just the fact that it's so easy to play is what makes it enjoyable for people who don't necessarily play games very much and a wide range of people. Um, Stu, you've got your hand raised. Yeah, so I was just going to come back to um, what these guys are talking about. In the, I, I do think the format's really important as well, and, and obviously that's why the the we were so successful. I think. I mean, I, I don't have kids either, but I've got a lot of uh, nieces and nephews, and obviously my dad's a, a bit of a gamer as well. Um, and so Christmas, when when the we was the, the thing to have, you know we played loads of games on that uh, and it was always a huge amount of fun but i've also tried playing my nephews online on like first person shooters and that's a horrible experience <laughs> because they are they are not graceful winners and obviously they do win a lot and so it it's definitely the format that makes it for me rather than you, you know the the, the than anything else uh, and the Wii was definitely something because again because of the nature of the controller it was quite forgiving and so yeah you could get like John says you could get little kids involved as well and and older people who were maybe not that familiar with games uh, and so you did have that much more kind of bonding experience but yeah standard video games that you play online uh, no <laughs> not, That's not for me with family that's an interesting point is when you're trying to get older people that aren't used to playing video games, like how do you, like, like how do you break that wall? How do you break that barrier? I found that there was a game called um, uh, Keep Talking, Nobody Explodes. Yes. That was a brilliant one because then you literally, because then you had a manual, you print out the manual and it was a bomb, it was like a bomb disposal manual. And then the person, it was a VR game originally, and then it came on Switch. So then there would be one person that had, was looking at a bomb and, the, and, and they had to describe it to the rest of the uh, rest of the group who had the printout manual. So then you could have your gran who would never play games, but you just have this printout manual and you say, there's, there's four wires. Okay. What color are the wires? You know, well, is it too red or too blue? Uh, you know what I mean? It was, and it was, and it was, it was all about communication and that's all it was. It was just about communication under pressure. And, um, and again, 
hilarity obviously ensues, you know, because people start end up shouting at each other, but you said it was blue, you know, after <laughs> the bombs explode or whatever. Um, but that's a really good point. It's a game that is a- enables us to get over that barrier for people that potentially are maybe a little bit intimidated by games, you know, if yeah. they're from an older generation. Um, but yeah, that, that keep talking, nobody explodes is a good one for that. Yeah. Um, Archie. Uh, just talking about the Wii and the ease of the Wii remote to use, Wii Sports Bowling was a really good experience for me. It was the first ever Wii game I played, and I was probably about six years old, and it was just so good because I could easily do it. I could get a good score, and it was so fun. It was really cool to just have a motion controller for the first time, but it was so easy to use, and anyone mm. could do it and enjoy it. So that would be another thing that I'd recommend for families yeah absolutely that, that that got a whole generation of people gaming i think like like that diversified the gaming audience didn't it for for the wii you know um mm. yeah I, they did many a christmas playing uh bowling we bowling many a christmas you know um yeah i agree with you that you know good shout yeah I, john i think i saw you turn to dust as archie said that he was six years old playing <laughs> yes. Bowling. yes i've never felt more 46 than i do right now <laughs> <laughs> i might have been seven or eight years old oh makes it better oh, bless. Blow, thank you thanks blow. for trying <laughs> thanks Archie. um i feel like this has been a really really good conversation so far and i think something else that we've maybe not touched upon so far is the feeling of uh retro gaming and nostalgia that's really coming up now we're getting remasters remakes of games we loved when we were younger uh we did the same very same feeling we captured that feeling of warhammer 40,000 bolt gun um by you know making the retro first person boomer shooter in modern days that we wanted in the 90s so i guess just bringing that up as a topic how, how do we feel about this feeling of nostalgia what makes it so powerful for gamers tom do you want to jump in i feel as though you're going to have arguably one of the best ways of answering this uh yeah, no- nostalgia is a powerful drug, as they say. I, I, I think it is. I think what's interesting about the nostalgia that's going on is it's kind of an infectious nostalgia. So the nostalgia kind of like other people are enjoying the retro aesthetic of stuff, even if that wasn't stuff, you know, that they were playing. And I think, you know, what, what's kind of interesting is with nostalgia is it is rose tinted. So you drop the stuff that's bad about it and you keep the stuff that's fun, you know, like for those of us who are playing games on the spectrum, we remember either you had to type them in by hand or they took like 20 minutes to load them in off a cassette tape um, <laughs> before you could play it. And even then it didn't load. No one's replicating that. I'm happy to say <laughs> like the, the, you know, you look at the kind of guidelines on console for how long you can have a loading screen up and it's seconds. Like <laughs> if you've got a screen up for more than a couple of seconds without something happening, that fails, that fails. And, you know, for those of us who remembered, yeah, like, 10, 15, 20 minutes of cassette loading before you play a game. It's great. Um, but I think I think what there is in nostalgia, like when you get it right, is often you kind of recapture the purity of what that was about. And I think Bolt Gun, and, you know, uh, on this call, we've obviously got two Bolt Gun members uh, of the team, uh, you, Matt, and, and you, Stu. Um, I, think, I think what you and the rest of the team managed to really successfully do was just capture that sheer joy in fact, you worked on it as well. John was on Bolt Gun, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little before bit, you yeah. into another project. Yeah, yeah. All, all three of you, anyway, celebrating that. Um, was just capture that that absolute joy of a, of a shooter. And I remember the first time I played Doom, 
and it, it blew me away. It was like, whoa, you know, this is amazing. And, you know, playing like Resident Evil 2 and like they cannot top the graphics in this. It's so amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think nostalgia is really, really potent. The thing with it, though, and I think the thing we have to do with with nostalgia is not be overly bound by it. Don't turn it into gatekeeping. Don't say, oh, well, you can't enjoy this. If you if you didn't play Doom back in the 90s, you can't enjoy this. Or, you know, if you if you can't recite all of the changes between Warhammer first edition and second edition, you can't enjoy Warhammer. Like, well, I don't want nostalgia to be gatekeeping. Like it, to me, it's about sharing that love of that thing. And if you get it at the right point, you really enjoy it. So I'm, I'm all for positive nostalgia, should we say? Mm. Mm. Of course, it's um, a lot of those people that of course, like, like us grew up playing these games. They're of course now working in the industry industry. They're not children anymore. They're now making the things. And it's the same with movies or the rest of it. Um, so it, it's it's so very popular. Like case in point, games like for me, like Shredder's Revenge, which came out was it earlier this year or last year? I can't remember now. Yeah, dot one. Yeah, which is just a fantastic, fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Great throwback to one of the best you know brawlers about. Mm. Um, and it's like it's just taking that very essence of what made something so good back then. But then, of course, you paint that with the whole modernization or better mechanics and and better systems or better tech and all the rest of it. And it then finally becomes the version of the game you had in your head mm. 20, yes. 30 years ago. Because it's, it's, it's almost like your imagination made the game what it was back then. And now it's like, oh, now, now my imagination has been met. And it's like, okay, this is the game I kind of wanted. And you're playing it as a 40-year-old person. It's, you know, those two things hit and it, it lands really well. Hopefully, we're better at making the games. You're right, and like you say, with the regards to the balance of the game and the and the onboarding and and the learning curve, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and also the freedom of, like, for example, Shredder's Revenge. Essentially, that's probably the game I played most this year so far. Um, I've clocked it so many times. Um, is is the fact that you compare? Obviously, the direct comparison with that one was with the Turtles Arcade. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, and which was an incredible game. Um, but when it got later, the later levels, it was basically built to make money. You know, it was, it was the only way you could really complete the game is if you had a whole pocket full of coins, basically just plowing them in. Whereas, um, so that difficulty curve went, went so steep, but then with Shredder's Revenge, obviously we're in a different place now where, yeah, there is a, there is a curve, but it doesn't get to that point of brutality. Do you know what I mean? And you can still, there is no reason to make it that difficult. So the overarching game as a whole, as a package becomes a bit, is, is a, is a better package. It's a better, it's a better, um, it's, it's, it's a better experience overall because, mm there aren't any other factors trying to pull at it, if that makes sense. Um, So I I think um, this next point will be quite a unanimous um, answer, really. Uh, Archie, starting with you, do you think you'll still be playing games 20 years from now? Well, I'd like to think so, yes. I don't know what life holds for me in 20 years' time, so it could be that I'm really busy with a family and I have no time to play games. But I'm hoping that I will. How old will you be in 20 years' time, Archie? Oh, make, make us all be feel. 43. Oh, oh my Stop God. It. Stop it. <laughs> okay, we're cutting the pod now. End of it. Done. Yeah, that's all. That's it. <laughs> we said keep it clean keep it clean one's gonna cry himself to sleep tonight now 
<laughs> yeah, however I feel, Stu feels three years worse than me. So. <laughs> no, well, once once you get past 50, it's all a zen-like indifference to, to well, everything, you know. I can't oh. wait. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but to, but to jump in on that, yeah, like, I, and I think this is the big cultural shift of gaming that is is super important is while lots of us discovered gaming when we were young, uh, and maybe there was an expectation, and, and I, I honestly did wonder this, like, you know, w- would I stop? And while there's been periods in my life while I've played games less and periods where I've played it more, and this is both, you know, digital games, board games, RPGs, I've never not played them. And, and again, as, as you know, you know, as Stu's dad, I can, I assume, test to, you know, I, I can't envisage a point where I would not be playing games like and, and if anything, I'm looking forward to the point where I, I don't have to work anymore <laughs> and I can play more games. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, also you, you get into that whole thing about actually it does provide a fair amount of mental stimulus. Mm. Um, Absolutely. And mm. so that in itself can be quite beneficial. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the short answer to your question is, yeah, I definitely uh, I mean, short of civilization or collapse or something, I'll definitely be playing games in 20 years. Um, but it is it is something that when myself and Tom and, and John as well, I guess, were of an age when we started playing games, it was seen as a young person's thing mm. because mm. the older generation generally didn't play video games and kind of, it, you know, were fairly disparaging about it, I think, thought it was quite a trivial thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas nowadays, yeah, I mean, you know, anyone who is younger than 60, say, would have had video games available to them. doesn't mean they would have played them, but would have been available to them essentially for their entire lives. Yeah. You know, mm. so you can't really say it's a, a young person's thing anymore. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm really excited, actually, to just hear the phrase grandparents who are gamers uh, mm. just become more and more common because that's the generational shift that we're now coming into is such a young industry and such that the, the media has been around for such a short amount of time compared to a lot of other media. Um, so we haven't really even spread that many generations so far. I think we're probably only about three generations into video games. Um, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, yeah, obviously I am going to still be playing video games in 20 years. Uh, that's, that's no shadow of a doubt. Um, I also feel like at this point I should thank working in video games for probably being that impetus to continue and giving me the skills to be able to keep up with the trends long after if I ever do leave the industry. I'll always be a gamer now. I understand it much better. I think when I was just a player, I didn't understand it as much and I might have fallen off of gaming um, a little bit. So just wanted to mention that one. Shout out to working in games. <laughs> um, John. Um yeah, um, do I think I'll be pl- still be gaming in twenty years from now? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Is the simple answer. I think it's highly likely when you look at the average age. Of, well, I think the average worldwide age of a gamer is thirty-five now. That is the ad- average age, and it's getting it's going up uh, over time. It's increasing. So I think it's I think it's highly likely that I will be. Um, just like Stu says, um, and, and you know it's. Um, there, uh, unless there is a reason that will force me not to, then absolutely, yeah, no. 
Mm. And, and for me to kind of add like two things that I think make this even more interesting, a kind of mix of, of gaming and culture is that the largest growth in gaming audience over the last few decades, uh, sorry, over the last decade or so, basically since mobile phones added gaming has been in middle-aged women. And I think it's really interesting if you watch TV, I've seen adverts popping up for various match three games um, endorsed by various celebrities who do daytime TV and soap operas and things like that. And it's like, well, why are they doing that? Because that's the audience they're talking to. That's not trying to sell me a game. That's not trying to sell you a game, Archie, or, you know, that that's a different audience they're selling to. And it's a massive audience. Like, And they probably don't consider themselves to be gamers, but they're enjoying games and playing them. I think that's really interesting is that actually the, the number, the type of audience we're talking about and the size of it has grown. The, the other factor that I would note is I think over the last decade or so, certainly since I've been involved in, you know, lots of d- debates and discussions of this is gaming's also been seen now as a viable art form. And I don't mean every game is art, but I mean, there are people who are creating games as self-expression as art, mm. as, you know, somebody like Pippin Barr, as an example, you know, creates these really interesting experimental games. They, I, I consider a lot of the stuff uh, that, he, that he does to be art and that, that, you know, he's not the only one. Like you're seeing it in tabletop, you're seeing it in role-playing games. People are doing really intensely creative stuff that is beyond the expression of pure gameplay. Mm. And to me, that that's another exciting development of it. And it further underscores that gaming isn't just a thing for kids. Of course, kids can enjoy art and everything like that. But, you know, certainly in my own personal experience, as I've got older, I've enjoyed art more. I enjoyed art a lot less when I was younger. And, and again, we could debate what I mean by art, but say for the shorthand of this, I mean something whose interpretation is is some a, 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 a media or an artifact or an item whose interpretation is open in more than one way and who is partly interpreted subjectively by the, the audience or by the person viewing it. You know, and so something like, mm. uh, say, Tetris, great game. I don't think it's particularly arty. Mm. Um, Whereas, yeah, like I say, you look at Pippin Barr's works, like he's got this great game of Sisyphus. Sisyphus, am I pronouncing it right? The the Greek myth of... Sisyphus. Thank you, yeah. He's got a game of that where the, the aim of the game is you've got to roll the rock up the top of the hill, and when it gets to the top of the hill, it rolls back down again, so you've got to go back and get it. And <laughs> you're just stuck doing that forever. And, of course, like there's no point to the game, but it, it recreates the, the, you know, the myth. And so, to me, there's a, it's kind of communicating... A, something above and beyond there so so it kind of has that art thing to it which is very exciting hmm. yeah i think that was a really beautiful note to to end this little whip round round table on so just to wrap up then is gaming just for kids i think the answer to that is no and also that the the question itself feels a bit outdated now mm-hmm. yeah in that yeah if if we were asking that question in the 1990s, I think you could have a, a debate about it. But uh, like Tom says, I mean, uh, and, and John mentioned, like the, the median age for uh, game stars was 35. So clearly, objectively, it isn't if, mm. if the average age is essentially middle-aged. Yeah, mm. yeah, I, I totally second that. Like, there's so many subdivisions and subcultures of the industry now, and it's like you'd be hard pressed to find a corner of the industry that wasn't for you, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there really is something for everybody. I certainly feel. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, I think it could definitely 
anyone, well, f- for me, it's always been that. I've always thought anyone can play a game. I've never thought, oh, that's only for young people. Um, maybe that's just because of where I've come from. But um, I think particularly because I personally value how they can bring people together as well. I think that's one of the, the kind of the gems of this industry is that it can provide really good and joyful experiences and it can really build friendships and help people bond. And I think, yes, it's great to get really stuck into a game, but I think the real beauty there is the connections it can build. And I think that can happen for any age range, uh, depending on how the game is made. So many voices, Jess, we've said this before, so many voices, so many um, pathways, expertise, experiences, is, is, is. Um, and it's this has been a really nice episode. It's not something we've touched on before. It's something I and and many of the parents within Oroch and all parents that think about a lot who are playing games. But, you know, as ever, having so many voices on, on the pod um, to talk about this kind of stuff is, you know, is is super exciting thanks for your time jess thank you matt thank you always 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 and thanks to everybody listening um please to please to please do share the pod talk about the pod tweet us at us contact us share your experiences you know with your Mm. own kids or what you hope for in the future you know if you were to be a parent or you know memories of when you were with your parents do you know did did your parents introduce you to games what was the first game you played together Mm. we'd love to hear it In the fast-paced realm of the games industry, the best way to keep up to date with everything happening at Oroch Digital is to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, using the handle at Oroch Digital. And we're on LinkedIn too, as Oroch-Digital-Limited. We also encourage you to sign up to our mailing list to receive regular newsletters that go into more detail about our projects and to join our community Discord, who are the first to hear our updates. You can subscribe to the mailing list and join the Discord on our website, orocdigital.com. And whilst you're on the website, be sure to check out our recruitment page under orocdigital.com forward slash jobs, where we post all employment opportunities. Links to all these socials and more are in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Hold up. 